Welcome to Mind Release, a playground for mental exploration and discovery. With me, your host, Asia Atwood. Welcome back to Mind Release. This is another episode for you, and we really do dig in this time. We cover a lot of topics. We have a guest on that really knows a lot about several things. We're talking cannabis, politics at the local and national level, social justice in the cannabis industry, and we really delve in to co-ops and how they work, different things about their value systems, how do they handle disagreements. We dug in, y'all, and, and I really do hope that you appreciate this conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Okay, cool. We have Miss Saskia Van James, and people call you Sas. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Yes. Um, and that, I like I like that nickname. I met you. Um, I met Saskia at an MRCC event. We're going to talk um, a bit more about MRCC and what they are and, and her role um, with MRCC. But I met you there, and I think I was talking about crowdfunding at the time, and. Um, after the end of the, my talk, we started chatting, and I think we were talking for like 30 minutes, just going. And I and I remember leaving that conversation going, I haven't had um, a deep conversation like that in a very long time. So I am very much so looking forward to this conversation because um, this young woman has such a vast amount of knowledge in her brain. And the more she talks, the more I, I, I learn and I get to appreciate and understand who you are, and I'm looking forward to learning more during this episode. So let's start with uh, learning more about Ms. Saskia, Sas. So welcome to the My Release community. Please tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. Yay, thank you so much. Um, I want to say thank you and be be clear to everybody that's listening. This is a real honor um, talking with you. Um, I really, I told you one of the first things, you know, when I met you was like, I feel like you're one of our, our you're a living um, inventor for us. You're, you're a living legend. And we have to walk and respect and honor people and not wait till people are gone to give them their flowers. It's very important for us to give each other our flowers while we're still here to smell them. So um, I recognize all of your creativeness and the pushing that you're doing in the cannabis industry and climate change and getting people to recognize because for so much, um, particularly in the science and, um, you know, that field, uh, what black women are erased, um, the contributions of black women are erased. And I see it and I see it historically and I see it still happening now in the science and in inventions. And I just want like, as much as I can champion and say your name and repeat it over and over, I will do that um, because that's, that's sisterhood. That's real work. Uh, yeah. We should be championing each other on and on as much as possible. So thank you for having me. I want to say that up front first. Yeah. Um, to introduce myself to everybody, hi, my name is Saskia. I'm affectionately known as Sauce, and I work at MRCC. That's the Massachusetts Recreational Consumer Council. And um, I came on as a board member. And um, before I was a board member, I was just a volunteer. Um, an intern, um, assistant with some marketing for them. Um, and 
before that, I was just active in my community. I live in the city of Cambridge, and I was really, really active and instrumental in writing the ordinance for the social equity ordinance that we passed. It's a historical ordinance. We are the first and only city where we said, um, um, you know, EE applicants only can open up for the first two years. Um, this was our stance. We were very strong. We would have, we would have held it indefinitely, um, but legally, we are only allowed to do it for two years, and that's through an ordinance. Um, because this is how bad the landscape is as far as social equity and getting the people who were disproportionately affected by the war on drugs an opportunity um, to, to profit legally in this industry. Um, Cambridge is a very wealthy town, and we have people from all over the state, all over the country, all over the world coming into our city to get money out of here. And they do not live here. They do not care about our lives. So once I saw the city was going recreational, I had to like go to city hall. And I was like, there ain't no way all this money gonna come through my town. And, he, and if they think that I don't have something to say about it, they got me all the way fucked up. I definitely <laughs> have some things to say about this, you know? And I feel like every black person should have something to say. You should be going down to your city hall and letting them know very loudly how you feel about all this money, millions of dollars coming through your community and you can't touch it, that's insane. That's insane when you know how many lives are still impacted, how many families have been destroyed um, and how our community has been decimated here um, in Massachusetts. The black community just has been decimated by the war on drugs, the 80s and 90s, and we have not recovered at all from it. Yeah, yeah, so um, have you, did you grow up in Cambridge or have you always been there? No, I've only been here. I moved here with my daughter. Um, I've only been here. It's been over 10 years. I've been on here for over a decade, which is what's insane, right? It's because I was like, oh, I want to, I started out thinking I was going to be able to be an applicant, you know, social equity. I'm an orphan. I grew up in South Shore in Brockton. Mm -hmm. um, and you would think that I would qualify. But the way that our CCC has it set up, they don't recognize race as a factor, even though stats show if you are black you could live in cambridge you could live anywhere in the state your ass was going to be touched period that's mm -hmm. how it that's how it worked and so the the state the ccc and our legislators still are not willing to acknowledge that with legislation nor regulations yeah yes yeah. so that's important i want to make sure that people heard that so you're not able to be an, an e applicant despite the fact that you have you're an orphan Mm -hmm. In Brockton, Brockton is considered to be it's it's categorized as a disproportionately impacted area. Mm -hmm. I lived in Brockton too, and yep. I wasn't there long enough, so I don't qualify either. So it is. I do want people to understand that it, this isn't just race. There's a lot. There's other things that you have to other players. Yeah, you have to do. And but, the, the qualification. One of the qualifications for them to say that you have to live in a disproportionate area for five out of the past ten years is one of the most like disingenuous things I've ever heard because it is 2020 and the war on drugs didn't start in 2010. Right. So people whose lives were destroyed in the 1980s and the 1990s, you're trying to tell me um, because they, and you're not even reckon, that's, that's not even recognizing gentrification, right? right. You're not even recognizing the cost right. of, of the war and, and how rapid how successful systemic racism has been in Massachusetts, because that's what it is. 
it has been just, a success story. And let me just jump in and give you and give maybe the audience an example of what you're talking about. How the '80s and the '90s were really the like for for my for me personally for my family and how it affected our legacy. Mm-hmm. I grew up in South Philly, but my great grandmother she moved from Savannah, Georgia during kind of the Black Wall Street era. So she came up north with a business savvy, and she was able, as a black woman using her own skills, she was able to figure out a way to acquire enough money that she could buy property. So she bought three homes in South Philly, um, row homes, but homes in South Philly. And then she gave them, she gifted them to each of her granddaughters. Now, by the time her granddaughters got a hold of them, it was the 80s, crack, uh, 80s epidemic, war on drugs. I lived in one growing up in, in South Philly. My aunts and my uh, and my cousins lived in the, in the other ones. By the time um, the war on drugs had impacted, so and we were all in South Philly, but in different mm-hmm. in different neighborhoods, but we were all impacted. So not just my home, but my aunt's home, mm-hmm. my other aunt's home. All three homes had their property values just plummet as mm-hmm. a result of the fact that the area had drugs pumped into it, so drugs was sent into the community, not by the people that live there, but yeah. by uh, you know who be. I don't know if we want to say Reagan, but there's a lot of different names behind all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so drugs were put in, and then they had the policing. So nobody wants to live there because it looks like a war zone practically. So the property values decline. People move out, white mm-hmm. flight, all that stuff. So by the time my mom wanted to turn it around and sell it, it wasn't it wasn't worth anything. There's no leverage. There's no, um, she doesn't have that asset that she can bring to the bank and say, Hey, I want to start a business. I'd like to use my home as collateral. That's gone. They don't have those. We don't, they don't have those tools anymore that mm-hmm. some other families do when the property values at least stay at average of what the rest of the, the country is doing. So mm-hmm. I lived in South Philly. Yeah. We're not categorized, but my wealth, the family wealth has been affected, has been you know affected by this. And, and so here in, in Boston, some of the things you can see, because not only was the drugs, you know, brought into the communities, but our very own city councilors were not doing the work. So when I mean by not doing the work, I mean that, like, um, you're a first time business owner. Um, you know, the city has um, grants that they can provide for storefronts to be remodeled over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go down certain streets you know, like in Jamaica Plain and, you, and it's all brand new and you're like, wow. And then you go down Blue Hill Ave and you're like, why is the storefronts look like this? Why does it look like they haven't been touched since 1975? And mm-hmm. the truth is they have not been touched since 1975. And there is a hidden agenda that is still at play that people are not acknowledging that these politics have there's backside doors and agreements that's occurring. And so mm-hmm. the money is not being pushed into certain communities. So it's a collaboration between our city, state, and federal government that's affected us here. Um, and, it, and, and that's you know systemic racism. And so, like you said, when you don't have the money to, to sell, you know, you're not gonna make any profit off of it. What happens when you, it, it, you just move because lives are at stake, you know, you just, you're fleeing, you're literally fleeing. It's not about even making a profit anymore. And so you have these towns where um, now that people don't own anything, people are renting, right? Because it wasn't worth anything before, right? Now they're all bought up by corporations and white landowners. 
And um, I know of a black business person that went um, to look for commercial property to open up a, a bike shop in Dorchester. He was quoted more for commercial land, com square foot commercial property in Dorchester than in downtown Boston. Wow, that speaks volumes. Speaks volumes. So the vulturing of our community is ongoing. And we see this occurring, especially in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. the, 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 the land, the landowners, the, the, the people who own the properties, they're not saying an ex, you know, an extreme amount of rent. They're saying we want 49% of your business to social equity applicants. Mm -hmm. And you don't have any support from your legislators, no acknowledgement from your CCC and developing and pushing for legislation to, to protect social equity applicants and then that and that's the real issue that i've been learning in this um industry is just that there's no protection they have such high standards for social equity applicants economic um economic empowerment applicants but there's no protection for them from mm -hmm. the vultures mm -hmm. and then when you bring it up they're like oh, but what can i do about it and it's just like really but you're quick to come up with all these qualifications in order to qualify to be deemed social equity for what? There's no priority. There's no expedited, like two years isn't expedited. That's not priority. Yeah. You know, that that's hurting people's business. Um, but I, I got away. I just want to let you guys know I, were, I, I went really deep. Um, I didn't mean to that fast. No, I, no, I, I, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm like, see, this is what happens when you talk stuff. <laughs> I try to warn you guys, you know, like I don't, I don't like the shallow end. I like the deep ends. I like people that, you know, let's talk, let's build. There's no building going on in the, in the kiddie pool. You guys, you know, swim deep, swim deep, swim hard. Um, so I just want to let you guys know, I work at MRCC, um, Sonia said, you know, I need you to take my seat. I trust you. I believe in you. I see what you're capable of. Um, and you're, you're the future for where the industry needs to go. Um, I've moved on. And at that point, Sonia was in New York, um, working, um, with cooperatives and I work at a bike shop and my bike shop is a cooperative. So me and Sonia like really clicked in understanding the importance of cooperative economics. Mm -hmm. um, and we both have a deep respect for um, the earth and spirituality. So we just connected in, in a couple of different ways, Sonia and I. Yeah. Um, but it was important to her that the people on the board are actually Massachusetts residents um, mm. and actually care about social equity and have a, a, a very big perspective on what is social equity. So I think that's something that I would like to talk with today about cooperative economics and just what is that and what is social equity? Because I feel like in Massachusetts, the term social equity is misunderstood. Oh, for sure. I would love it if you would explain that and go into co-ops. We did have Sonia, Erica on, I think she's episode number nine. So okay. after you finish this episode, go over to nine and check it, check out more about co-ops. But I don't think, I don't think people have an understanding of social equity or, or the, the problems behind it. So go ahead. So one of the, th one of the th issues that I'm seeing with social equity is people are only seeing it from a business st stance. Mm -hmm. um, 
and 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 you have to separate capitalism out of it for a second. Let's just talk about privilege. Let's go there, mm -hmm. right? Um, I've noticed when I talk to people, people don't want to recognize their privilege. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about white people, Hispanic people, Chinese people, black people, everybody. Nobody's willing to acknowledge their privilege. And so when that's that's a huge issue right there because there's different types of privileges, you guys. You can be black and still have privilege. I have privilege. Yeah. I have privilege. Yeah. You know, and it's very empowering and it's very important that we all understand the different types of privileges there are. So mm -hmm. please, um, after this, take a moment, look it up, different types of privileges. There's um, websites that you can go on and take a test and it'll tell you the different types of privileges you have. Really? Um, yeah, yeah, this stuff is free, it's out there. What, what, what is privilege? What types of privilege do I have? Google it, yeah. Google it. You got the world <laughs> at your fingers and it's a thousand dollar little machine at your hands. Use it, use it to its fullest, yep. you know? And um, you know, there's, there's white privilege, there's able body privilege, there's cisgender privilege, there's mm -hmm. heterosexual privilege, there's class privilege. Like there's so many different levels of privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the cannabis industry, I see a hyper focus on um, class privilege, which is extremely important because only our millionaires are able to afford to start up in this industry. Mm -hmm. This industry was designed so that only the wealthy can get wealthier. Right. And unfortunately, the CCC has designed um, a, a process where there's, there's only, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, there's only one point of entry. There's only one point of entry that you can get in. Mm -hmm. And in the traditional market, not the black market, the traditional market, in the mm -hmm. traditional market, you do not need a million dollars to enter the cannabis market. Mm -hmm. You don't need thousands of dollars. You can get in the cannabis market off of pure consignment. Mm. I trust you. That's how easy it is mm -hmm. to enter the traditional market. So it's very important that our, our legislators and our regulators that are developing things not try to create things from scratch. Why make it so difficult when you can make it so easy and so simple? And it's really important to do that because when you make it easy and simple, you're making it accessible. And some one of the, the biggest things I, I, I just don't understand is just like, you know, they're saying, oh, it's so difficult to get, to get around the community host agreements. So create a market, create a farmer's market. Why can we not have cannabis farmers market? Right. Have a regulated area that the, the CCC has designated and owned and micro businesses can go in mm -hmm. and sell their flour, sell their products and people can purchase and support local, support the micro businesses. Do you know how much of a rush there would be for micro business licenses? If they actually saw the CCC and the legislators supporting local, when I say to them, you know, we got to support local, one of the first things that people say is like, well, all the cannabis is grown in Massachusetts, so it's already local. And I'm like, that's, you know, that's not what we mean. It's not, I wouldn't reply with, that's not what we mean. You know, 
that's not what we mean. <laughs> so it's such a huge bridge that I have to cross. Like there's such miseducation on the other end, you know, um, in regards to understanding what I mean when I say support local. Because when I say support local, right? I live in Cambridge, you guys. These stores, we are a proud support local town. We are very much circulate the Cambridge dollar in Cambridge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this is why the, the diversity even exists here in Cambridge um, versus like in Boston. Boston's very segregated still. Yes, it is. Um, and so there isn't supporting local. That is not a mantra of Boston. Boston allows people from two hours away from, from New Hampshire to drive an hour, hour and a half in to their best jobs downtown and then take that money right back outside of the lines. There ain't no loyalty to Boston in Boston. And this is from your own city councilors, the mm -hmm. own, your own mayor, you know what I'm saying? Our own governor is doing this type of stuff. And Cambridge, we're not like, we don't, we're like, nah, homie. Local supports, local. We got to keep these dollars here because we understand if this is community. This is what it's going to take in order for us not to be in a state of survival. Yeah. The way I got through to my city councilors was just explaining to them, are you, this is, this is a major opportunity for us to get people that offer affordable housing, mm. assistance programs. This is a major pathway for those people to be pushed into a, a pathway of financial stability, mm -hmm. because this is a huge issue. Financial stability is a huge issue right now, especially for our most marginalized communities. Right. So let's, let's create opportunities and, and protect these opportunities for the, these communities that are really using a lot of resources. You know, we're fighting for affordable housing here in Cambridge. We fought for, you know, bike paths and, and so much, so much is going on in our city to try to make it affordable to live here. Mm -hmm. But let's try to protect the opportunities. And I was really blessed um, that my city councilor, now Mayor Siddiqui, <laughs> I'm very happy to say that the city of Cambridge, we have the first Muslim woman mayor Mm. in the state of Massachusetts. So 2019, we did the damn thing, y'all, here in Cambridge, Massachusetts. We made history with our ordinance, and we made history with our mayor. And I am very, very proud um, and happy that I had such support from a few of my city councilors, uh, Mayor Siddiqui, Councilor Zondervan. They were very supportive and listening. Um, and I literally, you guys, I, what I've learned is um, you have to read the fine print, and then mm. you have to do the work. I, I used to just get a highlighter and pen and I'm doing this with legislation and CCC regulations right now. I get that highlighter and I get a pen and I get to work. And then I write it all out and I tell them this is what, this is what I need. This yeah. is what I need. You can't yell at them from an emotional stance. You have to be very specific. Mm -hmm. And I think as black women, <laughs> we know how to be very specific in what we need because it's a place of survival. Right. Right. So and it just so happens that because you're black and I'm a woman, it benefits because I'm on the more marginalized. Mm. That's, I have a view when you're on a more marginalized community, you have a view to see all the way in. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And people who are more marginalized than me can see even further in on the center and what it's going to take. 
you know, so if we center our most marginalized, the privilege should shift out, you know? Yeah, that, that's that's an incredible point that you make about how marginalized has a different perspective. And I think just to delve in, into that a little bit more, and, you know, maybe you agree or, or disagree, but I think that's because when you are marginalized, you have to watch, you can't participate. So all you have, all you can do really is watch from the outside and try to figure out like, where's my opportunity? How would, if I, how can I get in on this? Who should I get in on it with? And there's a lot of learning that's happening while you're trying to figure out where do you fit? Where do I fit? I'm learning while I'm doing that process. Mm -hmm. The minute that, so the, but for the people that are not marginalized, the people that are already in the process, their focus is on what's going on and just what's around them. So they don't see the big picture because they're so, they're so in the in in the mix right you know right right off the bat. So I don't know. I think that that speaks volumes. Most marginalized people they wind up having the most creative thought and and usually the most creative solutions because they've been kind of kept out and trying to figure out how can they get in. They've done so much work up front um, yes. that we are wasting and not really tapping into, in my opinion. Yes, I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. That's that's it right there. <laughs> um, yeah, but then, then even like the farmer's market idea that you talked about, that was, um, I mean, just, you're right. Like if, if people just had a marketplace where they could come bring their products safely and they don't have to worry about all the overhead of the entire licensing process. I mean, the costs for, me for medical were substantially high. And that to, that to me said they only want people with money getting into that because you, you put the license up at over almost, is it like 25? We don't have not one social equity owned medical dispensary in Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah. We knew that the medical dispensary was nothing going to be nothing more than a gateway to recreational. And it was a rush that whoever had the money went first. And that's exactly how it worked. That's exactly how it, it played out because that's exactly how it was designed. You know, and what's really sad is that I'm coming in now, you know, I've had great, we've had great people proponents on the forefront, but I'm coming in now and I'm like, y'all. You shouldn't have signed this. This ain't it, y'all. We ain't, uh-uh. Uh-uh, we got a whole lot further to go, okay? We got some fresh blood on the scene and we taking this all the way up, like all the way up. This ain't working right here. It's very broken. What, what was created is very broken. Mm -hmm. And I'm not interested in Band-Aids, yeah. all right? I'm just interested in cleaning the shit off the table and fixing and, and building what works, right. you know? So, I mean, I, I, there shouldn't, in my opinion, and this goes back to your traditional market um, you know, example, there shouldn't be a license for cannabis, in my opinion. I don't, I don't you can you can say, oh, yes. what about the kids? Don't care. There are yeah. things that are in your home right now that kids should not have their hands on. And it is your, it's our responsibility as adults, as, as parents to try to protect yeah. them. We, fig, yeah. we figure out solutions around that to do so. The, the alcohol in your cabinet, you figure out a solution for that. So- The bleach and all the chemicals underneath your sink and you figure out solutions can get to, you figured out a solution for that. Right, we have guns in our homes, and and I'm not hating on guns. Don't don't get me wrong, but we figure out solutions for guns. So to me, it, it wasn't really about the safety of the children. That was just kind of a, a cop out when it comes to whether or not you're getting your hands on like mold or things that have chemicals in them. I definitely think if you if you buy something from someone, it, there should be a label on it so that I can come back to you and figure out who you are that sold me this. That's my only like requirement. The labels should make sure that they tie to the original person who produced it, so that way we can make sure. That people are safe but other than that it should be an open market you should be able to go down 
it's uh, online. Register with the state on on, on the state yeah. whatever. Not, I'm yeah. sorry, the state website and get and get popping. Yeah. But it's I don't know if we can roll it back that 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 far now. But maybe there's a way to do it. There's absolutely a way to do it. There's absolutely a way to do it. it, should, it it's as simple as getting a discounted uh, testing MCR labs. If, if you're if you're a dispenser, you got to pay one price. You know, for your for your weed to be tested. If you're a home grower, you get a discounted price because mm -hmm. you're not big business. Right. You're a home grower. It's a different different different. It's just completely yeah. different, yeah. and it should be at a different price there. You know. And get your stuff tested, and if it's test and, and you 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 sailing clear, put it out there. Yeah. Let the best of the best, and this is this is what consumers and this is what MRCC is about. Let the best of the best come out here because what they're putting out here, you guys, is not the best of the best. <laughs> it is not the best of the best. After I got some homegrown stuff, I was like, you know what? I don't know what to tell these plugs. These dispensaries, all y'all got to step it way up because a home grower will spoil you. Once you get some homegrown weed, you like, fuck it. This is <laughs> I'm going back. Yeah. That's it. I yeah. mean, you're growing trees on your end. I'm like, yeah, I know I got, I, I'm, I'm trying to grow on my own. I'm like, how the hell can I learn how to grow? Because I don't want it to, I don't want that crap that's out there. And that's what it is. It's crap. And you don't realize what's great until you experience it until you had it and then you go back and you're like whoa i was smoking that oh my goodness that was boo boo they hyped <laughs> it up they gave it crazy names Ooh, you know it's that gas it's that gas mm -hmm. yeah they change the colors of it by by playing with lights and stuff to make you think it's cool oh it's purple it's like but it does doesn't actually do anything for me because it's it's purple they look. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty. It's pretty. That's nice. Uh, yeah. But no, it's, and then, um, but the farmer's market uh, topic I wanted to get to was, uh, uh, it made me think about um, co-ops. And I know we talked to Sonia a little bit about co-ops. Your, your bike shop's a co-op. Yeah. Um, I remember when we first met and you told me you worked in a bike shop and you were a mechanic, I was like, <laughs> excited, just, just thrilled. Like, oh, uh, because it's not often that I get to see another woman of color that's into like techie stuff that I know could be like, all right, so now when we talk about like specific things, I don't have to like change my terminology. I, you know what I'm no, talking about. No, never. <laughs> never. Never. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Yeah, and, 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 I, I, there's a, and I, I have an interest in and, and it's always been, bikes have always been something that I've enjoyed as a, as a youngster and just kind of didn't as an adult really like have a chance to do it as much. I did it a little bit. I bought a couple of bikes, but I couldn't like just stay on top of it and get out there as much as I wanted to. But so, so I was excited. But anyway, talk if you can about co-ops and like, you know, what's so, what's so special? What's so great about a co-op? Okay. So I think everybody that's worked at a co-op or has lived in a cooperative housing has different experiences. Um, for me, I'm, I'm extremely lucky. Um, I work at Broadway Bicycle in Cambridge. And I'm really lucky because my my co-op is over 30 years old. And through that process, they've been able to fix and adjust and tweak things. Um, and there really is just this down to earth culture um, at my cooperative. There's not, you know, at my job, nobody's putting on airs. Um, and there, there's just this, and um, there's this lean machine in place because in Massachusetts, we only have bicycle season you know, from spring to late to late fall. 
Mm -hmm. um, and then bicycle seat. And you know, winter is six months out of the year. So this, this is only six months to really make a, a profit to carry you over for the whole year. And so being a bike mechanic is a seasonal gig um, as a result because the rush comes and then it's it's hectic. Like you gotta woo, you gotta bang out those bikes. But then mm -hmm. when it's slow, oh my goodness, we're like, we're painful in the shop. We're like, yo, where's the bikes? Bring us some work, bring us some work. <laughs> you know? um, but I really learned so much from my coworkers. They're amazing teachers. Um, I can't stress that enough. Um, Kate, Jace, Colin, Bettina, Jesse, like I've just had Joe, I've had like such amazing teachers um, that um, really understand um, intersectionalism. Um, when they teach me, they didn't, I, I came in not knowing anything, you guys, like not knowing a damn thing. And I came in and they, um, one of the things that that's normalized is not to say, um, to jump in like, hey, you're doing that wrong. And then like grab a tool and do it for you. They'll just approach you and be like, hey, I think I know a, tr a trick. I think I know a different way you could do that. Do you wanna, you wanna know? Mm -hmm. So it's like the opportunity, right? To know, it's, it's, it's the approach in it. And then there's a second approach is, um, do you want me to tell you or can I show you? Hmm. So um, do you want me to just tell you how to do this so that you're hands on and learning yourself? Or do you want to visually see what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. um, and then that way, next time you can actually try this process for yourself. So there's even two different, like even once you've accepted, yeah, I need assistance here. I've been struggling. I don't know what the hell I'm doing right now. This is tough. Mm -hmm. You know, there's even a, a second part to that. Um, it, that 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 sense of help you know how would you like to receive the assistance yeah. and that type of like caringness oh my goodness it was just yeah. like and i came in super paranoid right because i'm the only black person at my shop let me be clear you guys so i walked in like oh this is gonna be some shit. i was <laughs> like very, very paranoid but i i have ptsd post-traumatic slavery disorder mm -hmm. uh, i'm not in a place where i code switch i'm just am who i am period. Mm -hmm. um, and you like it or you roll. It's, it don't, it's no sweat off my back because life is life. I'm going to be black to the day I die. So fuck <laughs> you, you know, that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Right. You know, and I'm really, really blessed. Like my coworkers are just like such a, a breath of fresh air and mm -hmm. welcome. And like, no, that's fine. Be you. That's yeah. fine. You know, and um, last year I had an extremely turbulent um, life in my personal life. And mm -hmm. My coworkers was just so supportive because why I'm just like you guys cooperatives where it's at it's where the magic happens there's no other job um that you can have a family emergency and you're losing weeks of work and your job is still like you're still you still have a job yeah you still have a job they're still welcoming you there's no resentment that you're not able they, and instead they was concerned and caring and showing like their concern and care for me um, through such a term. And I, and I told him, I was like, if I, there's no other place I could work because you guys show just such humaneness mm -hmm. or understanding like life's emergencies and stuff like that. And it makes me want to go that much harder um, for the cooperative, for my bike's job. Um, yeah. I will be distraught if we close down because of COVID. Like I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> I can't do Look, I gotta have that open. You gotta, yeah, we gotta, we gotta have this, you guys, like we gotta have this grants, Donations, I don't know. But 
Like, I need my shot to stay open. We got to make it through. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like, a it, well, co-ops are sort of like a family. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone has a role and it's all understood. Like, we kind of understand everybody's role. So if you are having a tough time, I understand your value to such an extent that it's like, I got you. I appreciate yep. you and I want you to be well because you make the entire community, the entire co-op well. Um, and uh, I think it's a beautiful business model and something that um, I'm learning more and more about. I bought a, um, the book that um, it's, I think it was called Collective uh, Courage. Oh, that was the name of the book that Sonia recommended. So I have that now and I'm working my way through it. But um, I've got like three other books. I unfortunately do that thing where I pick up too many different books. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, I, I'm, in, I'm I'm interested in learning more about the co-op model. Is that has that been the bike shop? Has that been your first and only cooperative experience? Like, what about? Um, I know you're very active with um, Farmbug Co-op and Eric and what they're doing there and trying to get co-ops and cannabis. So, mm-hmm. can you maybe you know shout out Eric and share his story a little bit. Yeah. So, um, so after so now MRCC is a cooperative. Um, we've moved into a cooperative structure. Okay, um, all right. So we're really busy. People haven't been hearing too much about us, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm a little, uh, a little troublemaker over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you want me on the team? Cooperative, like cooperative, cooperative. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, so we've restructured. We've created committees, um, and I'm really proud, of, like my team, and just how much flexibility that they've um, demonstrated within the past like couple of months. Um, mm-hmm. People don't know that, like it's really difficult to change from one, uh, from when founders are very used to like one way and then going to a completely radical different way. Um, but it creates, it creates more value on the work being accomplished versus on titles and pay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very value driven, very work driven. But- you were talking about um, the co-op. So MRC, MRCC is now a, it will now be a co-op. Yes, we are a cooperative. We'll be coming out. If, if this comes out before June 19, please don't hate me. Uh, <laughs> but we're, we're announcing it in June that we're going to have the, a big, you know, that we're going to do um, a, a live webinar and stream it. And for people to really hear, like, we have a new mission. We just re-ramped everything over. Um, and, and really getting in tune with um, our members, the people who have been supporting us from day one, um, really trying to you know get in deep and let people know like, okay, this, this is where it's at because we're really seeing in the cannabis community um, and on the social equity applicant side, people are like, oh, I don't have the money. I have to partner up with these shady people in order to get into the business. And the CCC isn't acknowledging that they're caught, that they are the cause of this issue, one. And then two, there's a lack of education. And so people have um, just are unaware on what cooperative economics looks like. And really it is as simple as some susus. Like we do cooperative economics in the black community. Like we do cooperative economics, you know? Yeah. And, and you know, you, we have it as other names, you know, if you get into a susu, you know, there's everybody puts all their money together in one pot. And then after the first cycle it goes to one person and then it goes to another person. You know, we, we do this in our community. We have it as other names. Um, and so it's just about letting people know, hey, we just call it a different name and it's got some, some other different structures to it. 
but it is extremely beneficial. And um, things that like through this COVID ever I've been reading is just like not only about cooperatives, but also about mutual aid. Um, mm -hmm. Mutual aid is something that was basically what the Black Panthers were doing. They were a mutual aid organization. And so people don't realize that like these, ter these terminologies is what actually founded a lot of like civil rights and the actions that occurred there is cooperative economics and mutual aid. Um, and so we have to go back to those tactics because they work. Like they work, you guys. Look at what actually happened when we used them. Yeah. Some real magical shit was going down. Um, yeah. And so Some I'm having a lot of fun with Eric uh, at Farmbug. Just to, that was a long-winded. I'm so sorry, y'all. Deep in the ocean. Sorry, deep with the whales and the dolphins. No, no, that's that's how the, that's how the conversations go, y'all. <laughs> you know. <laughs> But now, yeah, I wanted to talk about co-op farms and stuff, and like, because I know that there's some difficulties around that. And what can, yeah. what, what do people need to know about it, and what can we do? Yeah, so the the issue with the co the co-ops and cannabis in Massachusetts is that they've made it so that you need a Schedule F to be a cooperative structure, um, and but don't and let Schedule that F just so people are clear means you have to have a farm, like you have to have farmland. Yes, you have to have farmland. And to be clear, 96% of farmland in Massachusetts is white owned. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> so, and so, that's I think like the, the nation, it's probably like 98%. So Massachusetts isn't different than the rest of the country. As much as Massachusetts like to pretend it's something else, it's not. <laughs> So if I'm, so if I'm a, um, a a person who wants to own a co-op, if I if I want to do a co-op cannabis license with several people that I think all will be great great members of the co-op, we've got our plans, we have our ideas, but we don't have anyone that owns a farm. We can't be a co-op. Is that correct? You can be a co-op. Um, if you do not own farmland, you cannot apply for a cooperative license. Oh. But that so, has benefits, right? So you can it has benefits, but you can be a dispensary and work in a cooperative and work in a cooperative structure. Okay, I got what you're saying. You see what I'm saying? Because cooperatives, you could be an LLC, you could be a nonprofit, you can to, to operate in a cooperative structure. Basically, instead of thinking of a hierarchy, just think of multiple circles. Multiple circles. That's all it is, is multiple circles. All working in cohesion with one another, um, and all working. Think of it just like a bike, you know, all in tandem. It's all working. Together. All the spokes coming down. Oh, yes. <laughs> down, working to push forward. You know, mm -hmm. that's what cooperatives do. Um, and so, you don't have to have a cooperative license. There's a lot of um, issues with that, you know. And Eric has shared like just a lot of problems with it, you know, um, and being a, and, and having a cooperative license, they have not made it easy whatsoever, which goes to show the lack of education um, from our legislators, the lack of education from our CCC, our commission, commissioners, of mm -hmm. lack of education on cooperative economics. Um, it's really important that when you're creating laws and regulations that you have education on what you're actually creating laws and legislation on. And mm -hmm. if you don't, 
you get the people who do, um, you know, that know that. So um, yeah, you can have any sort of license and work as, you can have a micro business license and still work in a cooperative structure. Okay. And what you're basically saying is that financially, everybody profits. Mm -hmm. You wanna be a worker owner cooperative, everybody owns and everybody profits. And so instead of what's, what's happening now in Massachusetts is that um, you're gonna get like, the way they have it designed right now, we're gonna have like five, six wealthy, black families that get their licenses and all the rest of us are gonna be workers. And that's no different than any other industry in Massachusetts. Right. This is the way they have it set up, a hierarchy, the patriarch, mm -hmm. the white supremacist, you know, this is, this is the traditional shit that, and they're trying to replicate it into the cannabis industry. Yeah. Um, and so cooperative is a radical different system. It's saying, no, 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 um, just because um, you founded this doesn't mean that you're better than me. Um, I came in 20 years later and I have great ideas and I am just as passionate about this business as you and I should own a piece of the business as well. And what happens is that when you're giving away a piece of your business to somebody else to own, you will find time and time again, they will value the, their work, they will value their job, they will value the company, the organization, way more than if they're just a worker. It's different. It's yeah. different when you're an owner. It you is. have a totally different, you know, sense of ownership um, there. What happens if you don't show up to the place that you that you own? You own it. You're not even showing up for yourself. Right. You know, so there's a, it's a, it, it changes the mindset. Um, you're working and you own it. You know, and so. I want more people to own and my people we're not owning. And in cannabis, the way they're trying to set it up, there's gonna be those CEOs and all of those making millions of dollars and we're supposed to be happy with $20 an hour. Mm. They're, they're making- $20 an hour at cultivation centers? Like, so, like, we always know our farmers get the least. They get yeah. the least. And I, I'm not here for that. Yeah. You know, you grow, you have to talk. You, you, you the first, you eat, like eat. You should not be making $14 an hour when you're the one doing the most work. No, we're not gonna be replicating the traditions of America, you know, of, of slavery and, mm -hmm. and our food system, quite frankly, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're still doing the food that we eat. If you're not growing it, they don't even make minimum wage. Right. They're, they're immigrants. Um, I don't even like the word illegal you know, because the borders are bullshit mm -hmm. uh, and the land isn't even ours, you know? Right, yeah. So you can't be illegal on stolen land. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, 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 I hear you. The, um, the co-op co structure to me makes the most sense, even from like the idea of sustainability. Like if you think about, um, people talk a lot about sustainability and how do you, and create, you know, building a business for longevity and for the future. Well, you got to think about the business model and making sure that it's not going to create an imbalance where you can't you can't perform, where the business can't perform. And to me, th this model of co-op cooperative model has been time proven. I mean, we've had examples of it, like you just mentioned, in, in for generations, has been in, in cultures for quite some time of this communal way of getting together to 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 support maybe one person individually or to support a cause, but everybody winds up being supported as a result of it. Um, even like um, 
mutual insurance companies. A lot of the, the very first black owned, you, you think of like black Wall Street era, black owned insurance companies were mutual insurance companies, which means that a bunch of black business owners got together and said, we have all this property now, we have all this, these businesses, we need to insure ourselves. We can't get insurance coverage from the white owners, so we need to figure out a way to do it ourselves. Why don't we each pay into a, an account and that way if if you're if you burn down we'll just take the money out of that account and pay to get you up and then if i burn down we'll do it for me mm-hmm. so yeah this has been around for quite some time which to me proves a sustainable model um mm-hmm. that is very valuable so i think even if you wanted to build a business this is a, a great way the co-op model seems to be a great way to make sure that um you're gonna you're not gonna wind up getting yourself into a, an issue that you can't like a business that you can't sustain especially when you have employees that are bought in like that like you're describing they yeah. they, they understand that they're owners too yeah. um so it's it's beautiful. it's beautiful and i think it's important to highlight that like our community has been devastated by the war on drugs and people who work in a traditional market do not necessarily have this the skill set of a cooperative Uh, of a cooperative model because a cooperative model requires teamwork. It requires mutual respect. Mm -hmm. It requires value of everyone on the team um, with differing opinions. Um, Somebody can have a different opinion. It doesn't mean they're less than you. It doesn't mean to put them down. It doesn't mean to attack their character. That's not what it, that's not what cooperatives do. You know, if the people have different opinions, it's okay. We're not supposed to all agree. You know, we're not supposed to all agree. And there's a process that cooperatives have. It's called consensus, you guys. Yeah, how does how do they handle disagreements in co-ops? <laughs> it, it can, it's a lengthy process. So uh, to, to simplify it for you guys, voting, which is something that we do in our country, creates inequity. Um, so you'll have a majority rule. That's what voting creates, where you have three to one and that three wins. And screw the, screw the one screw the one one person, that one person, screw them. Um, so this is how we have marginalized communities because they're not being heard. This is what voting does. Um, when you have consensus, um, there's a different, a whole different agreement process. But um, at the end of it, you can disagree and still allow it, still allow whatever the decision process is to go forward because ultimately you're like, huh, I'm not for it, but I'm not against it. You know, you could be neutral, you can disagree and still say, I don't think this is gonna hurt the mission of the business. Let it go forward anyways. And mm-hmm. then there's just like a solid block where you're like, no, this is against, I believe this is against the values of the of the organization. This is the values against the businesses, the values against our mission. And what happens is it allows a moment of education. Whether hmm. that's saying, no, I block this, um, can educate their team. And their team that's saying, no, we're for this, can come back and prove, like, why why are they for it? So it's an educational moment versus, like, arguments. Nice. It's an, it's an intellectual conversation. It is, you know, okay, we disagree, but we're still valuing each other's, you know, perspectives. Yeah. And if that block still remains, you have to, that's it. You know, it, it stays right there. And it can, and it can get revisited that topic, that issue that's being voted on, being cons- having a consensus on, can be revisited over and over again as long as necessary. Um, it's a slower process, um, but it's it's way it's way more equitable. Mm. Um, 
and it allows so much more insight because you're hearing from people that you're like, oh wow, I didn't even think about it from that perspective. Um, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be okay. They, that's a valid point to say no. Right. Is is what I'm saying yes going to no their no, or is it to, I'm saying yes for a totally different reason, and they're still saying no and how do we hear each other and is there alternative solutions? And that's something else that can evolve out of these discussions is just alternative solutions. We're just like, no, what you're saying is incredibly valid. What happens if we did X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And that person can be like, whoa, yes, I'm going for that. You know, so it allows so much more brainstorming because it's respect for differing opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is how you got disruption in, in industries. You know, disruptors started to be like this buzzing word, you know, in, in the business world, the disruptors, disruptors, you know, um, but the cooperatives are the real disruptives. Like that's just the heart of a cooperative. Like, no, we're going to figure this out and we're going to stay innovative, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and consistently stay innovative in order to to be successful. Yeah. That's my experience working at Broadway. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a that's a great example. Thanks for sharing it with the my release audience. It feels almost like um what they tell you in a relationship when you're having disagreements is you're trying to come to a mutual understanding, a mutual agreement, because you understand that you're in it to win it. Like if you really, if you're in a marriage, if you're in a situation like that, the goal is to be in it, you know, for some sort of long duration. So you understand you're going to have to flex, but you at least want to be able to feel heard um, and respected and to allow the other person to feel heard and respected too. So it's, it's great. Sounds great. What else? I just want to say real quick, I think what's really important is that when you're in a position of power and you have years of experience, it does not give you the right to talk down to people. Mm. It does not give you the right to talk down to people. Okay. You can have all the experience in the world, but if you cannot stay human and talk to other people with mutual respect, you've lost yourself. You've You've lost your way to gain all of that. And to forget who you used to be, you lost yourself. Mm-hmm. Because when you start talking down to people, you're not winning. Your business isn't winning. And people get into positions of power and they forget who they used to be. They lost themselves and they start talking down to people. Cooperative is a beautiful way where you can have all the experience in the world and there's mutual respect. People talk to me and they have 30 plus years of mechanic experience, 10 years plus of mechanic experience, kick my ass any day and get a tune up done and speak with me to me with equal respect. Mm. And that's something that needs to be replicated in every industry, but especially in cannabis, um, because in Massachusetts, there's too much respectability politics. It's just too much, too much bullshit. Nobody has time for the bullshit, you guys. Yeah. You know? So we have to be mutually respectful to one another. I agree. I agree. And, you know, I think this is the the future that we're trying to, you know, focus on right now, the the, the ideas and things that we're talking about, co-ops, and just treating people with value and the, the old capitalistic models that we used to have, we're going to have to abandon most, if not all of them, <laughs> and really try to figure out a new way forward. Uh, so this conversation, I think, is a peak for people to understand, like, here's what's coming. Here's what's coming. Yes, yes. We can go farther together, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you very much, Sas. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Before you go, please make sure to subscribe, like, share, and comment. We appreciate it. That's how we spread the word. And if you'd like to learn more about me 
and my mission when it comes to climate, cannabis, and the community, please check me out at ajaatwood.com. Be well.